We're going to talk about the fact that uh, you're not broken. I'm talking to folks out there that are addicts or are in pain or believe and have been told for much of their life that there's something wrong with you. Let's talk about you're not broken. Most people believe that there's something wrong with them. They've been told their whole life there's something wrong. Now, some very specific people... If you're an alcoholic or a drug addict or an ADD, ADHD, uh, you definitely know there's something wrong with you because you've been told and the entire culture and the entire society says there's something wrong with you. I'm here to tell you, you're not broken. You never were. Clearly on the, on the bell curve of life, if we look at somebody that's uh, ADD, uh, they have some challenges. They're real challenges. Uh, we're just going to talk about the fact that they're not broken. There's nothing wrong with them. They just have challenges. And by the way, kids and adults that are non-ADD kids, they have challenges too. They're just different challenges. And they're not told they're broken. They find out from other sources perhaps they're broken. But that's a big chunk of the bell curve. Now, as you start to move down into more serious mental illnesses, very clearly there are individuals on schizophrenia or multiple personality disorders. There are some very serious mental illnesses that are helped by pharmaceuticals. Even think of the movie Rain Man. When you think about just about anybody who comes to this planet, when they have a very severe challenge, always they're balanced with a very amazing gift. But when the focus, there's something wrong with this individual, many times they'll miss the gift that they have. So the life that they're creating here on the very severe mentally ill end, I understand. I get the fact that they're mentally ill. We're going to talk a little bit about what it means to have an addiction strategy versus people that are severely mentally ill. People who are in the addict range, they're told you are an alcoholic, for instance. A couple of things that I want to tell you. First of all, AA is very well-intentioned. I love the number of people that they've helped. I love what they do for people. When you run PET scans on brains that have addictions to shopping or gambling, the PET scan will reveal the neural networks that are engaged and how those networks are being engaged and the part of the brain that's being engaged is literally not very different from those brains that are alcoholic addicted or drug addicted. And these people are being told they're broken. People addict themselves to alcohol or drugs. They're really pain avoidance strategies. You are medicating your life to the point that you do not feel your pain. So whether you're medicating your life and not feeling pain by running marathons or being addicted to your religion or addicted to alcohol or addicted to a legally prescribed drug that your psychiatrist has given you, you are medicating your pain. So what is your drug of choice today? This is about how you create reality. And the fact of the matter is, if you're out there thinking you're an addict or you're an aholic, you are not broken. You just have a strategy. And we're going to talk about what these strategies look like and the recipe cards that we use for including them in our lives and how they affect us. Take one message away from this. You are not broken. You never were. Good morning, Catherine. Good morning. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? I'm fantastic. How can I help? 
Well, I was listening to your radio program this morning, and uh, I felt compelled to call in because I feel very strongly about some of the things you're talking about, uh, specifically relating to alcoholism and addiction, but more specifically to alcoholism. Um, I am a recovering alcoholic. I've been sober for 20 years. In your approach to alcoholism, you seem to omit the most important component of the recovery program, which is that people find for themselves a power greater than themselves. This disease has a number of components to it, physical, spiritual, mental, and emotional. I honor AA. They do great work. They have great intentions, and they work for a number of people. And if it works for you to follow a 12-step program, I'm happy for you. And alcoholism is a challenge. I honor that. But if you are struggling, if you feel like there's something wrong with you, if you feel like you're broken, you are not broken. There is a couple of bad recipe cards you're using. So let's go over to Jason. Jason, talk to me. Hey, how's it going? I'm awesome. How are you? Oh, fantastic. The neural pathways that are formed during addiction, mm-hmm. can those be you know, rewritten or changed over time? And if they can, what's the probability, you know, what's the likelihood of them returning? Yes. When there are addictive strategies being created, there are neural pathways that are grooved in just like a record. And your brain is even better than name that song in three notes. It names that song in a nanosecond. When you experience something in life that will engage that neural pathway, it could be the sight, smell, sound, it could be the thought of a drink, that neural pathway is engaged just like that. There are techniques that will scratch that record. Right now, you can walk out into a parking lot day after day and you think you're very safe and you're mugged one time, you'll have a very hard time finding safety again in that parking lot. Can the neural pathways be reactivated? Can these feelings come back? And the answer is sometimes yes, sometimes no. And here's why they do. Your brain, when you scratch the record of that recording that says, I'm an alcoholic or I don't handle food very well, and you change your food addiction, you change your marathon running addiction, for the most part, that pattern has now been broken. However, sometimes these neural patterns can be re-engaged, and those neurons physically will grow together and they will lock together because you have run that pattern so much. When you do some specific neural techniques to break that pattern, those neurons are now separated. The brain can't name that song in three notes. It takes, just like any other thought that you're creating, it takes time to have that thought. So sometimes back in other circumstances, maybe it's even just an old song on the radio, comes on and you're so immediately back to the beach that day with that girl or that boy that you fell in love with who or who's breaking your heart that you took your first drink if the song comes on the radio sometimes that neural pattern and these are self-taught techniques you'll learn how to do them 
And you can do something like that that is just absolutely going to break that neural pathway. But it's an ownership of the strategy. It is not an identity that you're broken or something's wrong with you. Great. So, so would you say that um, these, when when you're rebuilding these pathways, it's, it's purely uh, an alteration in thinking and it's behavioral, or is this something that needs to happen over years of time, or you know, is enhanced with uh, you know neurological pharmaceuticals, or um, it, it it can be all of the above. Uh, and and Catherine, even the earlier caller, you know, she had a good point. What happens? And if you're new age ish and you've heard the mind body spirit triad, when when you get fully engaged in all legs of that triad, your mind, your body, and your your physical physiology self and your spirit, what you are spiritually, when you believe in all three of those legs that you're that then that is what you are. When one of the three or two of the three legs of that triad are conflicted, we'll have conflict. So sometimes you can begin changing the triad with thoughts. Sometimes you can begin changing the triad with physiology. And as Catherine said, you can sometimes begin changing the physiology with a spiritual path. When you don't want something at a high level, that is a recipe for the brain constantly recreating it. So somebody wants to just muscle in, I want to quit, I hate cigarette smoking. It can be done, but it's very, very difficult. So when you try to take something out of your life, it is so much easier when you at the same time focus on what you do want. So, for instance, when you look at the benefits of cigarette smoking, you get a break from your cubicle farm every hour. You get to go stand outside. You get to take big, deep breaths of air. You get to visit and socialize with your friends for a few minutes. Cigarette smokers are very social people. So when they begin to try and quit smoking, if the new neural pathway that they want to energize does not include being social, and getting big gulps of fresh air and getting a mental break from their work every hour or so or whatever their cigarette break, they're going to struggle with that strategy. So when you're trying to quit an addiction, it's actually more powerful to devise a new addiction that's going to be healthy and happy. That's why many people who quit smoking and all they're focused on is, I can't smoke, I, I don't want lung cancer. They're so focused on it, the brain will do the work. The brain will find the addiction. That's why many of them turn to food. There's arguably uh, neurological benefits to cigarette smoking, which I think is uh, one of the factors that makes it so difficult to quit. Purely from the, from the nicotine itself, uh, and if you look at... Uh, incidences of smoking among uh, mentally ill, uh, you know, schizophrenics, uh, people with anxiety disorders. The nicotine itself actually activates parts of the brain that, you know, stimulate normal behavior. And nicotine is a, such a powerful stimulant, addictive stimulant, that whatever activity you're choosing when nicotine is the delivery vehicle, it will addict you to that behavior. And in the yin-yang nature of life, the glass is always half full and half empty. So whatever you're experiencing that's half empty 
It will have a half full component. And understanding the physical, spiritual, mental components of an addictive strategy to create something. And, you know, one of the common questions I get is like, well, there is a gene for alcoholism, isn't there? And the fact of the matter is, yeah, there absolutely is. But here's a very interesting fact that there's many, many people with the alcoholic gene that are not alcoholics. And there are are many, many people that have the gene that are. And there are many, many people who do not have the gene and they have alcoholic strategies. So the, the, the cause and effect relationship between that gene and what is your reality, it's not linear and it's not a requirement. Yeah, and the gene just causes a predisposition to the formation of you know, certain neural pathways in the brain. It doesn't necessarily mandate you know, utter reality. Absolutely correct. Thank you for listening to The Inevitable Podcast. Please visit our website for more information on this extraordinary coaching system at www.theinevitableu.com.